Hey, before we jump into this week's podcast, wanted to extend an invitation to our podcast family and to uh, all past and present NC Sears. We've got a special 20-year celebration coming up on October 30 at 6 p.m. at Constitution Hall, right in the heart of D.C. And so no matter where you are, you can get there, plane, train, automobile, even metro, and uh, want to encourage you to be a part of that special uh, marker and moment in our history as a church. Also want to let you know that we'll be live streaming at theaterchurch.com, but sure would love to uh, shake your hand, give you a hug, and uh, see you in person on October 30, uh, 6 p.m., Constitution Hall for our 20th celebration. God bless. Well, I'm fired up. Hey, welcome to National Community Church, all eight campuses, and uh, our extended family that tune in to our podcast. You watch it, you listen to it. Uh, thanks for being a part of NCC. Uh, if you were here last weekend, uh, you got a gift, a free copy of Chase the Line. Uh, if you weren't, I uh, bet you wish you had been. Um, but we have a copy for our guests. We want to make sure we get a copy in here. And we do have a couple of goodies for you. Um, I don't know. I just thought it would be fun if our entire church got tatted up uh, for two or three days. Kind of one of these little guys. I just don't have the courage to actually do it. And so uh, we've got some tattoos, temporary. And then we've got some bracelets uh, that I'll explain uh, just a little bit later on. Let me mention this. Uh, if you want to do a seven-day reading plan, you can go to Uversion. And, uh, and then chasetheline.com, uh, there's a manifesto that I think you're going to want to download, and uh, I think it, uh, it would look great on a refrigerator, on a screensaver, and so I uh, encourage you to do that. Hey, if you have a Bible, uh, you can turn to 2 Samuel 23 as we kick off our Chase the Line series. That's where we're going to hang out for the next three weeks, and we'll get there uh, in a few minutes. On September 11, 2001, four airplanes were hijacked by terrorists bent on evil. Two of those planes crashed into the Twin Towers in New York City. One of them crashed into a field in Stony Creek Township, Pennsylvania. One of them crashed not far from here into the west side of the Pentagon. The natural instinct for those in the building was to get out. But on that day, uh, there were heroes who didn't run out. They ran into those buildings to help those who needed it. One of them was Lieutenant Colonel Ted Anderson, who attends our Capitol Hill campus. One account captures his story this way. Anderson acted like a man possessed. As others ran for their lives, he sprinted from his office toward the point of impact, spreading his jacket over shards of glass on a windowsill. Anderson had a non-commissioned officer named Chris Brayman boost him into the collapsing building. Together, they carried out two women, one of them unconscious and the other badly burned. Over the next hour, as the rest of the world looked on in shock, Ted Anderson returned to the blaze over and over again. At one point, he and Brayman were low crawling through the inferno, screaming to be heard above the roar. 
Arlington County firefighters finally restrained Lieutenant Colonel Ted Anderson, would not let him go back into the building, probably saved his life because just a few minutes later, it collapsed. Ted Anderson stayed at the Pentagon all day, in part because his keys were at his desk in the Pentagon. That night, the building superintendent let him get his keys. He drove home. He listened to 52 messages on his answering machine. He took a shower. He cried for 30 minutes. And he tried to go to sleep. But at 1 a.m., his boss called and said, I can't sleep. Let's go to work. Put on your battle uniform. And so in the middle of the night, they headed back to the Pentagon because they knew that we were at war. That's what soldiers do. That's who soldiers are. And it might be appropriate for all of us to express our appreciation right now. Can we do that? I know that there were other first responders here at NCC. We thank you. We honor you. And if you want to understand David's mighty men in 2 Samuel 23, then you need to understand what drives a man like Lieutenant Colonel Ted Anderson back into the Pentagon to run toward danger, to run to the roar. These weren't the kind of men who ran away from what they were afraid of. They were boot camp trained. They were battle tested. And their stories are some of the most epic stories, some of the most heroic stories in all of Scripture. Josheb faced 800 to 1 odds, but he would not back down. Eliezer fight, uh, fought until his uh, hand froze to the sword. One of my favorite verses in the Bible. And Shammah, when the rest of the army retreated, took his stand in a field of lentils. And then there was Benaiah. And that's where we pick up the story in 2 Samuel 23, 20. Uh, at all of our campuses, would you stand as we read God's word? 2 Samuel 23, verse 20. There was also Benaiah, son of Jehoiada, a valiant warrior from Kabzeel. He did many heroic deeds, which included killing two champions of Moab. Another time, on a snowy day, he chased a lion down into a pit and killed it. Once, armed with only a club, he killed a great Egyptian warrior who was armed with a spear. Benaiah wrenched the spear from the Egyptian's hand and killed him with it. Deeds like these made Benaiah as famous as the three mightiest warriors. He was more honored than the other members of the 30, though he was not one of the three. And David made him captain of his bodyguard. Would you turn to your neighbor and say, chase the line? And you can be seated. 
One of the great challenges that we face in reading a story like this is that we know how it ends. And because we know the ending, we assume that it was inevitable. Psychologists call it hindsight bias, and it's one of the reasons why it's so difficult for us to really fully appreciate Scripture. We're Monday morning quarterbacks. We know how every story ends before the crucifixion even happens. We know that there's a resurrection. And because we're reading these stories thousands of years after the fact, and because we know how every story ends, we lose the element of surprise. We lose the element of danger. We lose the element of risk. And that's certainly true of this story in 2 Samuel 23, 20. We know that Benaiah walks out of the pit. And if we aren't careful, we assume it. But come on, is this not one of the craziest acts of courage you've ever heard of? Here's what I know for sure. When the image of a man-eating beast travels through the optic nerve into the visual cortex, the brain sends one message to the body, run. Run away as fast and as far as you possibly can. But lion chasers aren't wired that way. They don't run away from what they're afraid of. They run to the roar. Let me zoom out and look at this from a wide-angle lens. We don't know where Benaiah was going. We don't know exactly what Benaiah was doing. When he crosses paths with the lion, all we know is his gut reaction, and it's gutsy. Listen, lions weigh 500 pounds, run 35 miles an hour, have these things called claws. If you find yourself in a pit with a lion on a snowy day, you have a problem. Probably the last problem you'll ever have. <laughs> this is how the game ends for you. But you've got to admit, I killed a lion in a pit on a snowy day. It looks really good on your resume if you're applying for a bodyguard position with the king of Israel. And so Benaiah lands the job and eventually 40 years later becomes commander-in-chief of Israel's army under King Solomon, second most powerful person in the entire kingdom of Israel, but it all traces back to this fight-or-flight moment. Are you going to take flight or are you going to fight for your dream? Are you going to run away from what you're afraid of or are you going to run to the roar? Are you going to let Fear, dictate your decisions, or are you going to live by faith and chase the line? Not much has changed in 3,000 years. And so as we begin this series, let me ask a question. What's the scariest dream you could go after? What's the craziest dream you could go after? What's the riskiest dream? What's the biggest dream that you could go after. A few months ago, we kicked off a series called Mountains Move with a question. And the question was this, what's the bravest prayer you can pray? And I said that for me, it would be praying that the Lord would heal my asthma. Reason being, I've had asthma my entire life. It's my earliest memory. I can't remember anything else. And I've prayed hundreds of times that God would heal my asthma, but I felt like I needed to pray one more time. And guess what? God answered and I'm now 70 days inhaler-free. By, by the way, when I shared that, that was one of the harder sermons I've preached because 
um, to put that out there to the world. Um, and uh, can I just share this? When I went to sleep that, that night, I dreamt that I had an asthma attack. But it was a dream. Ha! I've never had that dream before because it was my reality. I'm thinking to myself, like, that was crazy. And listen, I don't deny it. Probably some subconscious fear there. But I'm not running away from it. I'm chasing the lion. So let me ask the question at the outset of this. What's the craziest dream you could go after? And I want to be careful right here. When I wrote uh, In a Pit with a Lion on a Snowy Day 10 years ago, I, I discovered something, a uh, scary discovery, that people actually believe what you write. And I started hearing stories of crazy lions that people were chasing. I'm going to tell you the very first thought that I had. Oh, I hope you prayed about that. I don't want hundreds of people going and quitting your job tomorrow, okay? Um, I think that there are things you need to talk through, think through, pray through before you chase that line. And, uh, and I think you need to hear from God. Um, and so let me kind of frame it this way, because the hardest thing here is discerning. Is this a line that God has called me to chase? And I can't answer that question for you, but, but I like this as a, a microcosm for decision making. If you're in a boat in the middle of the Sea of Galilee in the middle of the night, you better make sure that Jesus said, come, if you're going to get out of the boat. But if Jesus says, come, you better not stay in the boat. Because if you stay in the boat, you'll never walk on water. At some point, you got to take the step of faith. So 10 weeks ago, put the bravest prayer out there, worked pretty well. And so let's try it again. Can I share with you one of my crazy dreams? Uh, it doesn't even make sense, but I believe it's something that God's put in my heart. One of my life goals, life goal number 39, is to make a movie. And honestly, it feels a little foolish even verbalizing that, because watching movies is not a qualification for making one. Uh, but when I was five years old, my parents took us to see a movie, a Billy Graham film called The Hiding Place. It was a story of Corrie ten Boom and the way that uh, by faith she survived the Nazi concentration camps. And uh, for some reason, at the end of that movie, after that movie, I asked my mom if I could ask Jesus into my heart. And it was a defining moment for me, albeit five years old, but it changed the trajectory of my life. You know what? I'd love to do that for someone else. God used the medium of a movie to impact my heart, and I guess I'd like to do the same thing. Now, uh, I don't think it's going to be acting in it. I don't think I'm going to stunt double for anybody. I don't think it's directing it. I don't think I have any kind of skill set that would lend itself towards either. But you know what? Um, Somehow, someway, someday, I will make a movie. Now, I don't know if it's writing it or producing it. The reason why I say this is because I think it's something God's put in my heart. But here's what you need to understand. I don't see a path forward. I have no idea how. 
so I feel a little foolish right now. But you know what? If you aren't willing to look foolish, you're foolish. Faith is the willingness to look foolish, and we'll talk about that in just a couple of moments. Let me tell you something about 500-pound lions. By definition, a God-sized dream will always be beyond your ability, beyond your logic, and beyond your resources. Why? So that when God does it, you can't take credit for it. If God doesn't do it, it cannot be done. That's how God gets the glory. And I think that's what I want to challenge us with at the beginning of this series. What's the craziest dream you could go after? Now, it'll take longer than you think. It'll probably be harder than what you imagine. But if your dream doesn't scare you, it's too small. If you are big enough for your dream, your dream is not big enough for God. So where do we start? Where do we start? Well, I know that not everybody at all eight of our campuses, not everybody listening to this podcast thinks that they're a dreamer. When you look in the mirror, you don't necessarily see a lion chaser. But I want to push back on that a little bit. I think that you have dreams that you don't even realize are dreams. Um, parents, let me pick on you. You have a dream. In fact, you gave that dream a name when he or she was born. You have a dream. Uh, I just think sometimes we don't frame it in a way that we understand that that's something God put in our hearts. Let me share two ways uh, to discover your dream. There are lots of ways, but here are two. Uh, first, I would say inventory your history. If you just kind of come and listen to a few messages, and in fact, if you just read the book, like that's not going to get it done. You have to inventory your history. I think your destiny is buried someone, somewhere in your history. You know, it's interesting. I, I spent a couple of days with the life coach a few, year, uh, a few years ago, and, and I've shared a little bit about this. But what was intriguing to me is that kind of those 48 hours, we really didn't talk about the future much at all. And so it almost felt like, when are we going to get, get to the plan? You know what we spent most of our time doing? Identifying what he called life gates, kind of defining moments in my life. And it took a while to identify those 39 defining moments. Uh, anybody want to guess what one of them was? Uh, watching a movie at five, and we began to connect the God dots, and I began to see how some of the dreams and desires that God has put in my heart were buried in my very distant past. You have to inventory your history. Uh, by the way, um, Lieutenant Colonel Ted Anderson, uh, first time he visited D.C., he was 13 years old. His dad was graduating from the FBI Academy down in Quantico. And they come up to D.C. and they visit the Tomb of the Unknowns uh, at Arlington National Cemetery. And Ted said, that's when I knew I wanted to be a soldier. You know, my prayer for you is that during this series or as you read this book, that you would inventory your hit, that you would begin to discover some of those things that God has put in your life for a purpose. What makes you mad or sad? or glad. Begin to tap into that and see what God might have for you. Second, I think one of the best ways to discover your dream is to serve someone else's dream. Get around a dreamer. If you feel like, I'm just not sure, I'm not sure what I'm called to do, um, I would say that there are just going to be seasons in our lives where our focus needs to be on someone else's dream. And if we have the selflessness to serve someone, sometimes that's how our dream becomes reality. And that's exactly what happens for Benaiah. 
He's serving David's dream. David's a fugitive. His dream is becoming king. And he rallies these 37 men who say, you know what? Your dream is my dream. And so David becomes king of Israel. But what happens 40 years later? Benaiah becomes commander-in-chief of Israel's army. So by serving David's dream, Benaiah's dream becomes reality. So inventory your history. Serve someone else's dream. All right. Let me give you two definitions of faith. And then I'm going to share a story, share a study, and then we're done. First of all, faith is the willingness to look foolish. I can't imagine anything more foolish than chasing a lion. But that's faith. Can I just tell you that, whew, I felt foolish walking into the uh, counselor's office at the University of Chicago where they were gracious enough to give me a full-ride scholarship and tell them I, I'm not going to need the scholarship anymore because uh, I'm going to transfer schools uh, to Central Bible College. And the look on her face was one of like, no one's ever done that before. Um, I felt a little foolish. How do you give up a free education at a wonderful institution? But when God calls you, to step out in faith. You better be willing to look foolish. That move set the table for the rest of my life. Um, I felt a little foolish. Lauren and I felt a little foolish, you know, telling our family, we're moving to D.C., uh, but we don't have a place to live, and we don't have a guaranteed salary. Good luck with that. Um, I didn't feel like much of a provider at that point. didn't feel like much of a leader but you know what? We stepped out in faith and God provided for us. Why? Because we were willing to look foolish. You know what? Felt a little foolish opening a coffee house. We had no business going into the coffee business. But I'd say that God's blessed a million customers and a million dollars in net profit later, every penny of which we have given to missions. Noah looked foolish building an ark. Sarah looked foolish buying maternity clothes at 90. David looked foolish going into battle with a slingshot. Benaiah looked foolish chasing a lion. Wise men looked foolish following a star. Peter looked foolish getting out of a boat in the middle of the Sea of Galilee. And Jesus looked foolish hanging half naked on a cross. But faith is a willingness to look foolish. And the results speak for themselves. Noah was saved from the flood. Sarah gave birth to Abraham. Uh, to, to Isaac. That would have been a crazy plot twist. Not that God couldn't have done it. <laughs> David defeated Goliath. Uh, Benaiah killed a lion in a pit on a snowy day. The wise men found the Messiah. Peter walked on water and Jesus was raised from the dead. Faith is a willingness to look foolish. And if you aren't willing to look foolish, you're foolish. And I can tell you right now, I know it. It's the fear of foolishness that is keeping you from that 500 pound dream that God wants you to chase. I can't change majors. I might look foolish. I can't quit my job. I can't seek out counseling. I can't ask her out. I might look foolish. I can't share my faith. I can't pray for a miracle. I can't fill out that application. I can't make that move. I can't make that call. I might look foolish. If you are not willing to look foolish, you're foolish. Come on. Let me get in your business a little bit. 
You need to take that step of faith. Here's the second definition. Faith is unlearning our fears. You can run away from what you're afraid of, but you're going to be running the rest of your life. At some point, you can't let fear dictate your decisions. Now, it's interesting. There are thousands of fears and phobias in the DSM-5. And, uh, but psychologists tell us that we're only born with two fears, the fear of falling and the fear of loud noises, which means uh, every other fear is learned, which means every other fear can be unlearned. Faith is a process of unlearning our fears. First uh, John 4, 18, um, it's kind of this time lapse that pictures it this way. It says, perfect love casts out all fear. As we grow in our revelation of God's love for us, it begins to set us free. Love is not just some sentimental feeling. Love is fearlessness. Because you know that God loves you and it frees you up from all those other fears. Now, I've got to tell you, I've always wrestled with the fear of failure. And when I was 22 and we're trying to plant this church and seminary and it fails, I'm not going to lie, it was embarrassing. But it's one of the best things that ever happened to us. Because what I discovered, well, first of all, is that unless the Lord builds the house, they who labor, labor in vain. But secondly, I learned that the cure for the fear of failure is not success. It's failure in small enough doses that you build up an immunity to it. I needed to fall on my face and discover that God still loved me. God was still there. God still had a plan for my life. He's going to pick me up, dust me off. Now let's try this again in Washington, D.C., I think for some of us, uh, a little failure would be the best thing that could happen to us. Now, I remember someone once asked me, asked me the question, if you knew you couldn't fail, what dream would you go after? And I appreciate that question, but I think there's a better question. If you knew that you would fail, what dream would you still go after? Because you couldn't live with yourself if you didn't. It's not about winning and losing. It's not about success and failure. It's about obedience. It's about when, when God puts that line in your path, you have the courage to step out in faith and go after it. Uh, this weekend, NFL season kicks off. Yeah, okay. Uh, excited. Listen, you know, I was going to say everybody has a winning record right now, but um, Panthers don't. Uh, Kirk Cousins. Uh, quarterback for the Redskins, kind enough to uh, endorse Chase the Lion. Let me share some of his story. He read in a pit when he was a senior in college. You know what I love about Kirk? Um, and, and listen, I hope they win. I hope they win. But you know what I love about Kirk? He knows it's not about winning and losing. This is someone who's determined to glorify God with his life one way or the other, whether he's on the bench or he's the starting quarterback. Uh, that's what it's about. Uh, what sacrifice do you need to make? What risk do you need to take? All right, let me tell you a story, share a study, and then we're done. I've shared this story so many times, part of me hesitates to share it again, but let me do it in the second person. Um, more than a decade ago, I was a part of a mission team from this church to Ethiopia. Unforgettable week, uh, but an unforgettable day. Last day, we went on a little uh, uh, trip out of Addis, the capital city. And uh, before I tell you about that, let me, let me set the scene. 
uh, several weeks before going on the trip, uh, news came out that there was some kind of heightened political unrest in Ethiopia. And I remember at the meeting, we were talking about it as a team. You know, you, you need to take that seriously. We're not playing games. Like, this is real, real stuff. And, uh, but we felt like... Um, that based on some of the people that worked here that gave us information that it was okay to go. But there was one member on the team that was particularly afraid. Part of it is that she had never been out of the country. And so I remember we kind of had to talk her off the ledge and kind of help pray her through, which I felt awesome responsibility doing that and just wanted to make sure, Lord, I, all right. But I just felt like she shouldn't not go on the trip because of fear. Uh, and then we shared that on the last day, we were going to go into the outback of Ethiopia and, and do a camping trip and a game drive. And she had never even been camping. And when we told her that we would have armed guards, it's okay, we have armed guards. That somehow didn't eliminate her fear, perhaps <laughs> exacerbated her fear. Uh, oh, and then because we're going out of the city, we've got to get more inoculations, right? And so it all added up to, like, I think she was ready to throw in the towel. But you know what? i got to give Sarah credit. Um, we prayed through. That meeting turned into a prayer meeting. I just had a sense that she needed to go on this trip. And so she went. That last day, we're headed out of the city. And, and maybe our first stop, I, I wondered if... Uh, if she should have talked all of us into not going because we were held up at gunpoint by armed shepherds carrying AK-47s, which is terrifying when it happens, but right afterwards is awesome. <laughs> uh, and then we go swimming in a natural spring heated by a volcano. I'm giving you the short version. And then we hop on Land Rovers and we're doing a game drive. I'm seeing animals. I don't even know their names. I've never seen this one in a zoo and the, the African sun is setting and it's just, just the most unbelievable day you can imagine. Then we're around the bonfire that night worshiping. Guards tell us to be quiet. Sure enough, a lion roaring. We hope in the distance. And I'm thinking to myself, what if Sarah had run away from what she was afraid of? She would have forfeited all of those stories, forfeited all of those memories. And by the way, one of the best memories was uh, when we got there and got to our campsite, there were about 80 baboons. Do not tell me God doesn't have a sense of humor. You look at the backside of a baboon. Awesome animals. And uh, they're in our campsite. Like, they're running around. They're making noises. They're in the trees. They're like, what are you humans doing here? And uh, so we're setting up camp. And I, I catch something out of the corner of my eye. One of those baboons poop. And landed right on Sarah. Now, she has since forgiven me for laughing out loud. You tell me. You ever play that game where, like, just tell me something about yourself that no one would know. Well, I've been pooped on by a baboon. That's awesome. That's awesome. You would have forfeited that. Here's the question. Are you living your life in a way that is worth telling stories about? You know, when you write two books on one chapter in the Bible, your biblical imagination gets a little carried away. So forgive me for this. But I think if you read between the lines, um, I don't know, this is what I think. When Solomon was a young boy, uh, like any father, David would tell him bedtime stories I'm guessing that most of those bedtime stories were about his mighty men and their exploits. 
And I bet more than once Solomon said, Dad, would you tell me the chase the lion story one more time? Fast forward 40 years, Solomon becomes king of Israel. And who does he choose as his commander in chief? His father's bodyguard, a man named Benaiah. Why? Why does he choose Benaiah? I think he chose Benaiah because of those bedtime stories. I think he chose Benaiah because Benaiah lived his life in a way that was worth telling stories about. God wants to write his story, history with a hyphen, through your life. Your life is a subplot in his redemptive story. So you know what? For that story to be any good, come on, you got to chase the lion. When we lack the guts to go after the 500-pound lines that God has put in our life, we rob God of the glory that he deserves. When the Bible says that we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, I don't think it's just a sin issue. I think it's our small dreams. I think it's our small dreams that fall short of a God who is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine. So let me share the study. I don't want this to sound too morbid, but you're going to die. Sooner or later, somehow, somewhat, you're going to die. And when you're on your deathbed, I think your greatest regrets are going to be the lines you didn't chase. A fascinating study done two decades ago by social psychologist Tom Gilovich, Vicki Medbeck. And uh, they studied regret, made a distinction between two kinds of regret. And you can kind of track with me if you're taking notes. Action regrets are those things that you did that you wish you hadn't. Inaction regrets are those things that you didn't do, but you wish you had. And where the study gets fascinating is that in the short term, uh, we tend to regret actions more than inactions, 53 to 47%. It's a toss-up. But over the long term, the study found that we tend to regret inactions more than actions to the tune of 84 to 16%. In other words, when we get to the end of our life and we look back, it's going to be the opportunities that we left on the table that we're going to regret the most. Neil Reese says it this way, when we look back on our lives as a whole, we are most haunted by the things left undone, romantic opportunities untried, career changes unexplored, friendships left untended. All right, I'm going to close with this. One of my prized possessions is uh, called a lion spike. Uh, a lion spike is made of cow bone. Uh, it's been sharpened on both ends, and it has a uh, little handhold in the middle. It's what uh, members of the Maasai tribe use when charging a lion. There comes a moment where a brave must prove himself, and uh, uh, when the lion roars, that warrior thrusts this lion spike into its mouth. And when the lion closes its jaws, the spikes puncture the upper and lower jaws, making it impossible for the lion to bite down. I don't know what dream you're chasing. I don't know what fear you're facing. But I always think there is a moment of truth where you can't run away from what you're afraid of. You've got to run to the roar. I'd love to give everybody a line spike this weekend, but they're hard to find. 
So how about a bracelet? <laughs> Let me tell you why I want to give you a bracelet. We all have too many bracelets. We don't need another one. Uh, but you know what? I need a reminder in my life to run to the war. I need to be reminded to play offense with my life. I need to be reminded to go after the dreams that God has put in my heart. And I need a challenge to chase the lion, to fight for the 500-pound dream that God has put in my heart. So let me close uh, with this little challenge. I want to thank all the NCCers who helped uh, make this thing a reality. It's a manifesto, but really it's more than a manifesto. I think it's my prayer for you. Watch this. Quit living as if the purpose of life is to arrive safely at death. Run to the roar. Set God-sized goals. Pursue God-given passions. Go after a dream that is destined to fail without divine intervention. Stop pointing out problems and become part of the solution. Stop repeating the past. Start creating the future. Face your fears. Fight for your dreams. Grab opportunity by the mane and don't let go. Live like today is the first day and the last day of your life. Burn sinful bridges. Live for the applause of nail-scarred hands. Don't let what's wrong with you keep you from worshiping what is right with God. Dare to fail. Dare to be different. Quit holding out. Quit holding back. Quit running away. Chase the lion. 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 Chase the lion.